and welcome to Alvernal Voice, the alumni-centric podcast featuring inspiring stories from Alvernal strong women in the Milwaukee community and beyond. My name is Alexis Pollard, and I'm a current student here at Alvernal, as well as an intern in the Alumni Engagement Office. I'm joined today by Bevan Christie, a member of Alvernal's classes of 2007 and 2013. Thank you for taking the time to join me today, Bevan. Sure. Thank you for having me. You're an Alvernal alum, but also an entrepreneur, community activist, and educational advocate. Could you share a little bit about your background? Yeah, I I am an Alvernal. I'm a double alum, uh, 07 and, and 13. And as far as my background, you know, I did a lot of moving around and lived in a lot of different places in southeastern Wisconsin and ended up in Milwaukee when I was 15. And I was exposed to Alverno in my early 20s. I've spent the majority of my professional career in workforce development and education. I just continue to build on that interest and that passion. And Alverno was was a big, big block in that building of all of these things that you listed today. It, it, It was foundational. And so with that, what does an average day in your life look like for that? The average day, uh, as a consultant now, um, I'm working with a school and a nonprofit right now. I do a lot of project management, uh, but at the heart of it, I would say is relationships. And so I've, I continue to build on the relationships that I've developed over the years. A lot of them um, still stemming from Alverno and other professional experiences that I've had. And so I just continue to build those relationships in service of uh, who I'm contracting with, in service of the community. And so that's really what my day is. It's, I'm really fortunate because it, it is uh, just about building upon existing relationships and creating new ones and trying to make connections. I'm trying to find different ways for us to, and I say us like as a community to be working smart and not hard we face a lot of challenges in Milwaukee. And so um, I spend my days thinking about different ways <laughs> that we can address a lot of these issues. So that's kind of a, a day in the life. You recently founded Pivot RR, a healing space that provides educators and students the opportunity to collaborate. Could you provide a little bit of background information on what inspired this endeavor? So, yeah, I mean, I, I funnel a couple of things through Pivot one of them is the consulting piece and then the other is i was really fortunate to have uh, a stepfather and a and a brother who i was i have a piece of lakefront property in lily lake and i wanted to do something with it to create like healing space and access to just like quiet i guess my father referred to it as his utopia and growing up in chicago you know and then coming and living in a more rural area that was it was really important to him to have that peace and i think it's a similar thing in milwaukee is um it's so loud there's so much and so to have space to just kind of be intentional and 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 you know have try to find peace and and be centered is really important. And I think it's important in the work, if you're doing work within the community, within education, it's very demanding emotionally. The people who do it the best have a lot of empathy. And 
and that's hard because you're, you're always pouring into others and you're not often being poured back into. And so I remember when I first started the weekend college program at Alverno, one of the things they teach you is you have to be selfish because a lot of times it was mothers, you know, all ages. And, you know, we know as women that we are always giving. And so um, I wanted a space for people to kind of refuel. And so that's kind of the healing part of it in development. But I, I have used my networks through Alverno and all those relationships to, I, I hear, I just hear such a common theme, especially among women of just a need to be filled up. <laughs> so, so that was, that was kind of how I, I, I made that move. Now you also do some consulting work. Could you kind of share what that entails? As far as the consulting side, it was really, I've developed all of these skills and, and had, you know, have natural talents that were only enhanced by, um, you know, Alverno and then everything, all of my personal and professional experiences that had followed. In our initial meeting, you had mentioned that you are helping to reimagine education. What does this mean to you? It's taking, I think, the experiences that I've had in a, in a variety of spaces in education, whether it's uh, very rural, small school education to, you know, larger township in town and then in the city. And, and then having, and all in public schools, and then I've worked in charter schools and private schools, and I attended Alverno. And I see in traditional curriculum how there's, we're only catering to one type of learner. And even with that type, that one type and catering to that one type, we're still not developing that whole student. And so somehow we have made this, this one type of intelligence very important. And I think we're seeing um, more and more every day how our education system has failed everyone, um, but just in, in everything else, you know, the disparities. So we're, we are failing everybody, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, in catering to only one type of learner. And so I feel like if we embraced all of the different intelligences that our young people have, and that we gave them opportunities to demonstrate their strengths and explore different options and opportunities and, and have them, you know, at certain ages control their learning and their credentialing and um, really being able to demonstrate that they do have the skills, much like at Alverno, where, uh, and that's why it is reimagining it and it isn't because I feel like it already exists at Alverno. I feel like um, it's been rewritten for nine through 12. It's not been implemented in a way that aligns with what happens post-secondary. <laughs> How, you know, we're asking 18 year olds to make really important decisions and go into a lot of debt without any real knowledge or experience to make those type of decisions. And so I think we need, and, and what we define as successful in this country is just very toxic. And so I think, you know, finding happiness in what you do and having the work that you do not feel like work 
something that you enjoy and that's going to be different for everybody it's going to look different and placing higher value on people because of their careers yeah so it's not it's not just reimagining education but it's what what that does and what that opens up for society overall and i think it's also a step towards equity in your opinion why is this work more important now than ever I think it's always been really, really important. It's been a top priority for me. I've often been the squeaky wheel on the topic of education, but I think it's important now, more important right in this moment because of opportunity and also because we know it's not working more more so now than ever. We see that kids aren't able to stay in school buildings for long periods of time without having to go virtually, especially when there's not a lot of accountability around, you know, wearing masks and things like that, because there wasn't accountability before. And now it's just, you know, that just that much more dangerous. And so um, I think we're going to see people leaving education faster and faster as the year goes on. Look at what is the right and not one type, but who are the people that we need to have in the classrooms? Who are the people who are already doing the heavy lifting and being overlooked? And so those are the people that we want to come, the ones who come into the schools no matter what, who knows what's going on in the students' lives, who have relationships with them as young adults beyond K-12 education. And those are not the people that we have in the classroom most often. So I think it's there's going to be a pipeline issue. So there's going to be a workforce development issue in education. And I think that it's a, it's a prime opportunity to just like seize that moment. What does this look like? What does that training of that person look like? There is, you know, Teach for America and things like that, but they're not necessarily, you know, you're already a college grad by that time. I'm, I'm looking at who are the young people who may have not considered education, who would be really good at it. What does that training look like? Um, What does that work experience look like? What partnerships can be made so that there can be credentialing through this work experience, just like any type of apprenticeship or anything like that. You know, I just think it's just an opportunity. There's, There's a lot of stuff happening and a lot of bad things happening, but we know that good can come from bad. Yeah, I agree with that, especially with the whole teachers thing. I feel like most students, like, they'll work towards something and be passionate about it if their teachers show an interest in what they're doing and not just leaving everything else. I know a lot of teachers nowadays, like, they're trying to show their kids they care, but then other teachers are just, like, coming down the minutes until they have to get out of the classroom and they're too many hours to mm-hmm. You know, they send a file with them, but it's not, I mean, there's nothing in a file. But if there was something to say, like, hey, you know, Lou has high emotional intelligence. He needs to be engaged in a creative way. And then on the high school end that you knew that your teachers, like your teachers had strengths with these type, you know, with these type of learners and that you could better align so they could have a quality educational experience in the way that they learn. That doesn't mean only teach them in the way that they learn. You always want to stretch them, but to have it so that you're developing a love of learning and that you don't lose that after like fourth grade or third grade and that continues and that's a, and it's a lifelong thing. There's no time spent on that. You know, there and they don't really have anything even beyond 
K eight, I believe. And so then then you're even you're thrust into now this more traditional model of education after you've been allowed to to be able to be creative and to to choose your learning and and all of that. And then now here here you know conform and fit in this box. There's no dignity in education for anybody, not for the students, the teachers, or the or the parents. It's it's very rare. I feel like that kids leave feeling great at the end of school on a regular basis. You know, especially now, but it it was like that before. It just can be very demeaning and condescending and soul crushing on all levels. Yeah, I I wish kids would be more excited to be attending school. I feel like they see it more as a chore rather than obviously a learning experience where you can grow. We haven't done a good job of giving them reasons to want to be there other than their friends. You are a board member as well as a trained facilitator for the Zygote, an organization dedicated to helping people have difficult conversations. What drew you to the Zygote? So it's not just for students, it's really for community. And what drew me to that is, I think it's just really important to have these dialogues, to hear other perspectives, to to practice active listening, to be communicating effectively your own thoughts and ideas in a kind of a controlled space. And so it, it, to me, it just was another tool, I guess, in, in communication. You know, I, I don't always agree with, with people and, you know, have finding different ways to communicate my message and to be, I think the biggest thing with Scyther is as a trained facilitator, they are really training you to not show your biases in the smallest things, you know, even saying like, okay, thank you for sharing. You know, it's, you know, very, you have to remain very consistent and not show the least bit of favoritism or agreement or anything, which is different. I mean, my everything's written all over my face. So it's kind of it's kind of hard. So I originally was drawn to it because just another tool, but also once I was in it, it was like this is is good to have an understanding of that. And I've also experienced some of and we had to do some similar things where, you know, pairs where you talk to each other, but you can't like you're not supposed to react in any form or fashion. It's not easy to do. <laughs> so getting practice in that is helpful. But I'm um, just having civil dialogue, especially now. It's such a, you know, we're, everything is so heated and and emotions are rightfully high. But it kind of comes back to that healing again if we don't start having dialogues and, and understanding. A lot of times we're saying the same things in different ways. And if we don't talk, we're doomed to just keep repeating the same mistakes. So it spoke to me really because of that, because I am about bringing people together. How do the goals of that organization align with yours? I think bringing people together respectfully and intentionally, it's something that I feel like I do personally and professionally. I'm always looking for connections and bringing people together. And then this is adding people, you know, bringing people together a lot of times from different backgrounds. Me being from different racial and ethnic backgrounds, I've had the privilege of being around a lot of different types of people. 
and so I, I always think it's important that, that we don't just surround ourselves with people who are like us, that we, you know, expand our, our understanding through listening and building relationships. We've recently joined News Whole on Four project, which is described as a service journalism collaboration designed to meet the needs of Milwaukee residents. As a project manager with News Whole on Four project, in what ways are you engaging populations that may have not been otherwise? So just it's it's building upon relationships. I, I I built relationships within the community for over twenty years, and so um with this I believe in this project, and so it's it's very important to me for whatever I'm working on that my values align with that organization that that I can put my name on it, uh, and that people who you know trust me uh, will follow or will text in, and so and then just kind of the ripple effect from there. So it's basically, you know, we, we push targeted texts um, to subscribers once a week unless there's something urgent that comes out with information on eviction, food resources, employment, and we'll get texts in. I think we got one the other day where there was an issue with a neighbor and somebody was trying to figure out what their resources were, what their rights were. And so based on the work that Neighborhood News Service does, in Milwaukee and in the Wisconsin Watch Park through a collaboration between those two newsrooms. They report on those things and, and have been doing more so very intentionally now because of News 414, because when we get these texts in and, and these questions that we have answers readily available or that we can connect them right away to, you know, to the person that can answer their question, again, because of building those relationships with the nonprofit that are, are serving a lot of these needs in our community. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really the relationships. It's having a presence. It's having a presence on social media. I've, you know, drummed up a lot of following just from, from two social media groups, one in English and one in Spanish. Um, and it's also spaces for community members and nonprofits to post their resources as well. So a lot of it is just making sure that we're communicating what we're hearing uh, from the community, what are their needs. We're still in the early stages. I have about 800 followers on Facebook, so we're, we're still building that up. And then we will be using different ways to engage the community to give them opportunities to tell us what is it that you want to hear about? What is it that you want investigated, reported on? Are there issues with the trash service? We had one woman, her family was undocumented and they were turned away from getting, I believe it was the vaccine at a Walgreens. And so there was a whole investigation done and Wisconsin Watch did a full story on it and reported not only on Walgreens, but on Kroger pharmacies. And there was a quick response to that, so that it wasn't happening anymore. And that's the ultimate goal is that we're hearing from the community what the problem is, that we're able to report on it either through NNS hyper locally or brought more broadly with Wisconsin Watch and then that we see change. And so the engagement really comes to building that trust so that we can hear from the community what's really going on. What sorts of responsibilities fall under your role with News 414? It's a lot of community engagement. It's building trust within the community. With that trust and them telling us what issues they're facing in the community and then responding to that, being able to report on that. And so then like that's the kind of part of it. 
And then the other piece is managing the relationship between the two partnering news organizations that are just very different. Organizational culture is different. Geographical location, NNS is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin watches in Madison. They're just different cultures. So trying to create synergy between the two newsrooms. And then there's a lot of young reporters. And and so getting them comfortable with News 414 as a reporting tool and really looking at and embodying what community journalism is. And so for a lot of them, this is, you know, new and testing the waters with that. I'm responsible for a marketing budget and using those resources to get the word out as well as just word of mouth and, and engagement. So yeah, anything and everything that's News 414 <laughs> and anything that's happening in either one of those newsrooms that could potentially impact News 414 is under my scope of responsibilities. As someone who has been vocal about her passion for education, programming workforce development, social justice, and organizational culture, would you say your holistic approach towards your passion influenced your community work? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of happened. I, when I was at Harmon, I just kept getting more and more embedded in the community because it was the relationships I was building with families and students and organizations that were serving them outside of the school. And so I guess I, I wasn't intentionally saying, well, I'm going to go and be out in the community, you know, like, <laughs> like it, it just was pure service to the students and, and any resources or um, opportunities for students or families, like I was just all over it. So um, I think it, it's always been the, the reason of the, the community part has just been to better serve young people. How have your personal interests played a part in your professional work? It's sometimes hard to separate the two. I don't think that I can. Um, as far as professional and personal, I mean, all of my closest friends also work within the community in different forms and fashions. And it's just like, it's just part of, of who I am. So I think that's what, you know, that's just the, that's the drive is, is that I, I can't really deny it. I guess it's like, like I've worked in corporate America. Um, I don't think I could really do it. <laughs> and I also like the challenge of like, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, very hard for me to separate personal and professional. I think, I mean, it also has to do a lot with just like my mental health as well as like, I know that it's very important for me to be, to do work that matters that 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 impacts that i might not see the end result i know that i started a ripple somewhere and that there are people that are benefiting from that any type of work you know where you find your passion and, and when you find your passion it's it's something that's inside of you so i it, it's so important and that that's a lot of what drives my work and why that workforce development and education um, alignment is so important to me because you shouldn't have to spend the majority of your day hating what you do. So, <laughs> and when we love what we do, we tend to want to get better at it. And so, you know, then you're developing that growth mindset and you're, you know, hopefully having less stress in your life or, you know, it's the stress that you want in your life. So it's, it's such a critical part. I mean, I just know it's not. 
You earned both your bachelor's and master's degrees from Alverno. What was the initial draw for you, especially as a non-traditional student, to come here and then to continue on for a second degree? I had been exposed early in my career to Alverno in my early 20s and just how the educational model really captured my attention. And even though it, it, I didn't go until several years later, probably like seven or eight years later, I knew that that's what I was asked. I knew that that's where I wanted to go. And I knew that they had the weekend college program. I had known several women who had gone through it and spoke very highly of it. I knew I didn't want to be in lecture halls. And I thought, um, if I'm able to do this, I think it's gonna, the only place is going to be Alberno. Mm -hmm. um, and although it took a little while uh, to get used to being back in the classroom and things like that, it just, it just, it's, it's like home. I don't know. I can't, it, it just became like home and a place of support and a place to like that. To me, dignity in education existed in Alberta. I felt like there was a lot of, of dignity and empathy and compassion and accountability, though, as well, which often falls to the wayside when you start doing the, you know, adding the empathy piece in there. I originally majored in organizational, a master's in organizational development. And then I switched to a master's in education because I remembered that I really wanted to you know, have more of an influence in, in students' lives and, and I had spent some time in the school. So I switched over to education and then and that connection actually led me to then my 11 year career at Common. I couldn't imagine, a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't get your master's from the same place and this and that, but I couldn't, even though it was very different, I couldn't imagine doing it somewhere besides Alverno. What would you tell someone who is considering Alverno? I think that having a basic understanding of the eight abilities and how you're assessed and all of that is really important because it's not a good fit for everyone. If you are more of that, I need an A, I need a hundred percent, I need a whatever, um, you might struggle a little bit with Alberta. I would still say Alberta is really a good place for you to start rounding out your thinking, but it, it can be tough. So just with anything, I think it's, doing the research and finding out is it a good place for you a good fit but I think it's a great place for women I appreciate that it's for women although I would love to have an Alverno to send my son since he thinks a lot like I do but it's a sisterhood and if you are in spaces where there are other Alverno alum it's social capital, really. It's like its own big sorority. It may get you in some doors. Uh, you still got to prove yourself, but it will get you called back in a lot of instances. And I believe that because it empowers women, it's so important to have spaces like that. Women take a lot of pride in their Alberno education because it is, it is very empowering. And I feel like it's helped women come out of some dark spaces. How did having an Alverno education prepare you for life's challenges? I think just that the, the way of thinking, like I just developed a whole new way of thinking about things using the different abilities. It, I mean, it's just, it's second nature. You don't really even think about it, but 
the biggest thing is probably the the most hated thing in Alverno, and we might want to do a poll, but I'm guessing that most people would say the self-assessments. But there's not anything that I do where I do not just automatically self-assess and not to beat myself up or anything. It's to, how can I do that better next time? Did I do what I was asked to do or how did I fall short and why, but also allowing myself like that grace. I think that came later, (laughs) you know, asking the important questions, identifying the root causes of problems. Most of my work is in, in communications and making sure there's effective communication, but I mean, I usually forget one or two when I'm listing the eight abilities, but I know on a daily basis that I use those all the time. And I can also be open to feedback, um, which was, I think, a really hard thing for me. Like, not that my, the feedback, would, but just that whole concept of, oh, you're going to tell me what I what I need to maybe improve on, but you're going to tell me what. I did well. And so having that, that mindset as you approach things of, you know, let's talk about um, both things. Let's frame them in a way that doesn't demean you in the process. Those are just all really important uh, skills to have. And it, it just becomes, I mean, it just, I just embodied it. I felt like I discovered a language that I didn't know how to speak until, you know, I came to Alberto. And then now it's just, it's just there all the time. How did Alberto's education help you to accomplish so many inspiring achievements? I would say that I learned to be more empathetic through the process of my education at Alberto. My eyes were opened in a lot of different ways, but it also built a lot of confidence because I was often in spaces with people who, you know, were on honor rolls and, and, or had, you know, already had college degrees and things like that. And so I, I just, I never felt smart until I came to Alverno and learned that these things that I had naturally, the problem solving skills, the analysis, which comes with a lot of questions, which my family would say, I always ask too many questions, but it shows you that that was a good quality. <laughs> and so once I got there, it was like, it just improved my confidence so much. And and it, that's the same thing. I, I mean, I, I hear from so many Alverno grads that, that it just really helped boost their confidence and that they felt like that they were intelligent in ways that they didn't feel like they were before and that how they're, you know, for me, it's like how my way of thinking isn't wrong. It's just different. It doesn't mean that it's less than or more than it's equally as important. And, and so that, like, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, as you mentioned before, you earned your BA in communication and then you returned for your master's in education. How do those tie together in your opinion and what features from each educational experience do you tap into the most? The program doesn't exist anymore. It's communication management and technology. And I picked that because I didn't want to have to pick just one thing. And I thought, well, I can use these skills anywhere. So I might as well go in with that. 
And part of it too was I was very interested in education and potentially being a teacher, but the education major at Alberta wasn't offered as a weekend college option. So I picked this and not really even understanding at the time, like I understood like the technology and the the management piece, but I didn't have a full understanding of what that communication piece was. And and it's funny because that's the one I focused on the most. And so I feel like that part of my degree and that development of my skills, again, it was like taking something that I was already naturally good at, except for maybe the active listening part and developing it more. And so, again, you need that no matter where you are. Uh, and so it's it's an it was an easy transition. I feel like there should be more communication majors in education, <laughs> but it was an easy transition to Uh, do the work that I was doing in education because it it required a lot of different types of communication and and then along with that management piece I was running a small nonprofit uh, for Carmen the Carmen High School Development Organization so having that business background and then the technology always came in super handy I applied it to education but it could have gone anywhere and then with like the master's degree as far as it aligning you know, it, it kind of kept coming back to that having an organization. I kind just kept thinking I was going to have a nonprofit. And so I was looking at that organizational development. And so that was kind of where it went, where I, I went off into the master's of education, but in the, under the umbrella of organizational development. And then I switched license to master's, which I finished. I didn't get the license because it was at that time I felt like I could do more in education than than just teach in a classroom, and that that wasn't probably the best space for me, but it, it helped me so much because I did my field placements and I did all of that stuff. And so it, it helped me understand the demands of a teacher. And I think that few people that are in education who don't have a teaching background do understand what teachers go through on a daily basis. Um, It isn't what people imagine it to be. It's not as easy as people think it should be. Um, But I, you know, ultimately I I feel like I can make more change and more impact outside of the classroom, but I'm so grateful to have that experience. Um, And so I I think it took me longer to do my master's than it did my undergrad. And I guess I finished like a semester early with my undergrad. I think I was going for my master's from 2008 until 2013, but I switched back and forth a couple of times of like, what was I going to, what was it going to be? And that was just kind of me exploring and understanding how did that education piece fit with the other things that I was good at and learned in my undergrad. And so it served me very well. During my time at Carmen, I was there. I was there from 2008 until 2019, and it continues to serve me on a broader basis now as I you know, work with with more organizations and with more schools. Uh, as you also mentioned before, Alberta is a abilities based curriculum, and those abilities are like communication, analysis, valuing, critical perspective effective citizenship, aesthetic response, social interaction, and mm-hmm. problem solving. Um, as um, a student of the abilities-based curriculum, how do you put it into practice, what you've learned in your professional pursuits? Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said before, I think it's really a lot of, it's just embedded in, in who I am. One of, one of the first 
I think life decisions that I made based on the Alvaro eight abilities is when we did, I think it was like I am one twenty five for us, but I think it was I am one thirty for weekend college or weekday college. But anyway, and I think they've broken it up into a couple other classes, but for us it was like one big six credit class and we dove into all of the abilities. And I remember when we started talking about the valuing and decision making and understanding what values were and then identifying our values and then developing the understanding of that within people and within relationships if you don't have similar core values where there can be conflict. And so I I ended a relationship (laughs) based on that, but it's also been something that I'm very aware of as I, you know, was in other relationships. It's something I'm very aware of as I'm looking at um, organizations and what they say their, you know, mission and vision and values are. Um, Are you just talking the talk? Are you walking the walk? And so, you know, that, that alone has been foundational in how I make decisions both personally and professionally. And then I think that the communication piece, everything under that very large communication umbrella from recognizing nonverbals to being able to write in a non-biased way to giving, you know, the other things I would say after the self assessment, the second hated thing would be all of the presentations, um, which I personally liked because I would much rather do a presentation than a, than a paper. But I, but it was Alverno that got me to that point because I'm not only insecure about my writing, but also about public speaking, which is common, but it made me so much more comfortable with it that when given the option, I would always pick to do a, a speech or presentation than to write a paper. And I'm still that way. And I, I think, was it Flutterman? who was a liberal arts teacher who used to talk about speaking in space and the Cadillac of speeches and not having notes or presentations and that you were engaging enough to capture the audience's attention um, and knowledgeable and passionate enough about your subject matter um, to keep their attention. Uh, and so I take that with me in everything that I do. And even though I still have lots of anxiety over public speaking and all of that, I, I come back to, you know, to those lessons and to all those years of having to get, to get out and speak at any given time about anything um, has, has served me really, really well too. Having experience with the eight abilities, what do you wish more people knew about them? I wish they took the time to understand them better to see the connections and and how this is a really useful way to demonstrate your learning uh that this is it's so practical and you know as far as my educational experience it was very rare that you would learn something in a classroom and then you'd be able to apply it to anything you know the next day at alverno every time i left the classroom i was able to apply what I learned personally or professionally. And so it could have been, you know, I was more aware and I was a little bit of an older student or whatever, but even if at the time you don't realize it, the fact that it's kind of drilled into you, it's just going to be part of who you are. And so it's going to start playing out in your life and people are going to start recognizing you for that. These are all 
leadership qualities, any articles that you read right now, of people who are, you know, like the, the model leader, however you want to look at it, they want these skills. They want you to be able to, you know, reflect. They want you to, to be able to have a growth mindset and to critically think and problem solve and all of these things. And so I would just say it's, it's very, it's a very practical education. It's not fluff. It's, it's a really important way to think as we approach kind of the next issues that we're going to face as a country, as uh, with communities, we need, especially women, we need more women empowered um, to be thinking in the way that they do, to be able to execute the things that we're going to need to happen. Because especially like with how the curriculum is, it's not like, like you said, like there's not letter grades. It's like based on what you're learning that you can apply to the real world. In the real world, like we do get feedback. We don't get an A from our boss. You have to self-assess, like you said, and then just take whatever feedback you get. And there's this thing called the internet where you can find pretty much anything. And like, if you're taught just how to think um, or how to locate information, I mean, I see kids have the, the world at their fingertips and they don't know how to locate information because they haven't been able to think in that type of way. And so and that goes on into college. And so if you're not getting it in high school or before that, hopefully you can get into a college like Alberno that's going to be able to, you know, really teach you how to think, to embrace your natural ways of thinking and to continue to build on those. And then I think the biggest is just that love of learning. Why is it important for you to continue your involvement with Alberno College? I mean, I feel like I'm part of a community and, you know, I, I took the replace yourself call um, when we graduated very seriously. And so I, I like to stay involved there because I believe in it. I guess I get behind anything that I believe in and I, I believe very strongly in Alberno. I'm not saying it's perfect. None of us are no institutions, but I believe at what's at the heart of Alberno and it's just always been a very welcoming place for me. And like I said, it feels like home. It feels like home. And I wish more women and girls had that opportunity to have a safe place to learn and to be vulnerable, to continue to build on your learning. Now you kind of tapped into the Alverno Sisterhood, but what does the Alverno Sisterhood really mean to you? Um... I definitely developed a sisterhood with, with those who I was, you know, in the trenches with and in classes with and graduate, you know, some of us graduated at the same time, some of us didn't, but also I've hired so many Alberto grads that graduated years after I did, but that I could see also really embraced that of Alberto education and that it was transformational for them. And a lot of times, you know, those type of thinkers are not selected for roles um, or for leadership positions, um, and especially in, in some of these situations, they were more traditional students, and so they went to the regular programming. And, you know, when you're younger like that, it's also hard to build that confidence. And so when I see a young, especially a younger Alverno sister who's looking for professional opportunities, I always take a, a look at them and to see if they could be a good candidate and I'm always, you know, looking to, to empower them to continue kind of that evolution of um, that Alvaro started. And so um, 
you're your sisters, even if you don't know each other. And I've never been part of a sorority or anything like that. Um, I'm not really a joiner. <laughs> and um, initially thinking about going to school with all women was not my first choice. I wasn't somebody who hung around with women or had close relationships like that with a lot of women. And so I was like, ah, what is this going to be like? But it, I think it helped me to build trust among women, which I, we often don't have. We're, we're often very divided. And so coming in that space and building that sisterhood and that trust among women was really important. This last question is one of our favorites to ask our alums. What does Obernal Shang mean to you? I think it goes back to that reflection piece. I don't feel like you can get to graduation if you have not done a lot of that work around the, the reflection and been honest with yourself about when you are showing up, when you aren't showing up, did you put your best effort in? Did you, you know, did you do this? It's not about doing everything right. It's about being honest with yourself. And that's hard. Um, and so when I think about Alberto Strong, I feel like you've reached a level of, uh, of authenticity um, through kind of self-awareness. And I think you have to be strong to do that. Well, that's just amazing. It looks like that is all the time we have today, but thank you, Devin, for being one of our first podcast interviewees. It was great getting to know you a little better and hearing about Alverno's influence on you. Thank you so much. Thank you.